Would you open your Bibles, by the way, to Mark 16? I want to share with you now why I have uh, shared this video with you. And, and by the way, while you're turning there, some of you are astute and you've already seen uh, that little parenthesis that says, well, this part wasn't in the early manuscripts. And I was actually talking to a friend last night and you know, she's a Bible teacher and she says, oh, I've actually avoided Mark because I don't want to have to figure out how to deal with that, um, which was hilarious. I'm like, I kind of get that. Uh, but here's why I want, to, I want to tell you what this means, and then I want to tell you why. I'm going to give you two reasons why I think it's not only okay, but that it's good that we uh, are in Mark 16, uh, 9 through 18. The first reason is that when it says early manuscripts, you know what that means? There were early manuscripts. Like people want to know the validity of Scripture, like how can we trust that this is what it actually said? And, and the reason we can is that there were manuscripts 2,000 years ago that were floating around that we have copies of now. So that's a good thing. And when they say the earliest, understand 99% of them had them, but there were two manuscripts that didn't, that were, seemed to be earlier. But when I see that the early church fathers were teaching from Mark 16, 9, like Irenaeus and some of the early uh, church fathers, they taught from this. If it was good enough for them, I feel like it's good enough for us. The second reason that I feel utterly confident in it is he doesn't say anything, this author doesn't say anything in these verses that would contradict or different than what Jesus had already said. So for instance, when he says these signs will follow, you will dress up in uh, leotards with a, a cape and fly around the atmosphere. We would know that Jesus actually didn't say that. He didn't say it anywhere else in scripture. The apostles didn't practice it in, in the early church. If there was something in here that was contradictory, then we would say, well, maybe we shouldn't. But everything they're saying here, you can find Jesus saying, practicing, the apostles saying, the apostles practicing. That's why I feel utterly confident that we could teach this this morning. And with that in mind, verse uh, nine, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. And I, I just love this because Jesus could have chosen to appear to anyone. And not only he chose to appear to a woman, to one who had been delivered from demons. Like this is a big statement that Jesus is making. And so she went and told these, of those who had been with him, who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Understand, like, the, they did not believe it of the gospel. That's been happening for 2,000 years. And especially when it came from, from a, a woman there, like, oh, we can't trust a woman. Remember what I said last week, how radical it was that God chose a woman to be the first uh, disciple? That's amazing. So anyway, um, afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared. Do you see how it's just sort of synopsing all the other gospels, sort of synthesizing it into one snippet here? Later, Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith, like, ah, sorry, Jesus, uh, and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, and this is where we're going to camp a lot, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. I'm not a fan of that. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Now, after Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken 
into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. That's God's word. Uh, Let's pray. Jesus, you gave this commission to these disciples, and it's a commission that exists for us today as well. And so as we're digesting these words, as we are hearing your word, I pray that it would sink inside of us in new and fresh ways. Lord, there is, in my lifetime, I don't know that I've ever, I know I've never seen actually in my lifetime, a time where there is more people crying out for you in all corners of the planet. In our lifetime, there's never been a better opportunity than right now for this gospel of the kingdom to be taken to the nations. And we pray that you would remind us that the United States is a nation. (laughs) We're one of them right here. And I pray that as we are hearing these words today, that they would come alive for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week we asked the question, like, what does the resurrection make possible? Like, if Jesus rose from the dead, which, by the way, if you don't believe that, understand that you've actually got, I feel like you have more explaining to do than I do. Because if you don't believe that he rose from the dead, you have to figure out how to explain this scrappy little group of Jesus people who were poor, who were oppressed, and who were martyred. Somehow, how did they change history? Like, that's a pretty big explanation if you don't have a resurrection involved. A resurrection, like I said, you've got a lot more to explain than I do. But with the resurrection, what does it make possible for us? And last week we talked a little bit about what that would look like. He, like he re- restores science, like biology, the decay. This, this body was not decayed anymore and it somehow walks out. Like he is restoring creation. And as I was looking at these commands that Jesus puts here, I'm realizing this is what, this is what the resurrection makes possible for us. Like, it it makes possible this commission that he has given us to to go to preach the gospel to creation. Not just people. Isn't that weird? I'll tell you why in a minute. A commission for creation, it makes possible that the, the coming of his Holy Spirit, of his company, without the resurrection and the ascension, that wasn't possible yet. And it also makes possible that our commitment to the calling that he's put on us is made possible because of that resurrection the commission for his creation, if you're a note taker, the commission for that, it says to go, verse uh, 15, into all the world and preach gospel to all creation. Like his restoration is better than it was before, by the way. It's not like, uh, you know, when, when Guy Roberts kind of restores my bike, I've got my bike sitting on the hallway because at some point I'm thinking, I probably better get on the bike because, you know, Don and Holly are out there shaming me with their long rides. And I'm like, oh, I got to get out there. So he has restored my bike to the way that it was when I got it. God's restoration is somehow miraculously better than it was before. You got it. So when Jesus appeared in another form to them, that body that Jesus had was restored to better than it was before. I don't know what that means. I'm going to be honest with you. Other than it's awesome. And that preaching it to creation means that what we're seeing right now in our fallen creation God is going to restore it to better than it was before. Like, 
the Garden of Eden was amazing and beautiful and perfect, and it was in that garden that we fell away from him. And then it was in a garden of, of Gethsemane where Jesus made the commitment that let this cup, I'm not going to let it pass from you. I'm going to drink it. Is that garden where restoration began and at that garden tomb where Jesus resurrected, the, re the resurrection was beginning this restoration of creation. And Revelation 22 is the restoration of all of it back. The, the tree, it's funny because it talks about the tree, it's better than Eden. It's a tree in the middle with water flowing through and healing for the, of the nations of the leaves. It's better than it was even then. That's what the resurrection is making possible. That what I'm looking at right now in the world in front of me seems hopeless and it seems scary and it seems like I don't know how this could possibly work out and know that Jesus is returning that's part of his promise as he ascended, so he's coming back. And part of that ascension is that he's going to completely restore it to better than it was before. And what we get to do now, the commission for that, started at that empty tomb, and it continues to this day. And that is our commission to go into all the world. And when I say that, uh, people would feel maybe guilt and shame because you've never done that before. And I would love to just tell you this morning, you can relax. Because God says all of us going into the nations, right? But it doesn't mean, so my daughter's in the Navy, right? And so she has a different role than maybe someone else has in the same submarine or the same boat that she's on. Ship, I guess it's a ship. Um, they might have a different role, but it's the same mission, right? So Someone who is Mark and Victoria, great example. When they're in Southeast Asia, that's the mission. But if someone can send supplies ahead to the mission, it's a different role, but the same mission. So if you feel guilt and shame like I haven't gone, you can release that because that's not the gospel, not at all. I would say, on the other hand, I would like to convict you that if you're not part of going or sending, to, to reconsider that. Because as we say at Conduit, we probably should put this on the wall right behind us on the stage when we build this building. You can be a goer or you can be a sender. Right? You can be both. By the way, a lot of goers and senders are both. They'll go and they're sending. It's radical how generous a lot of our, our goers are. You can be both. You can be either. Right? You can be one or the other, but not in the kingdom of God that you can't be neither. Like You've got to be something. We, we have a role to play in that. So that generosity of that great commission was made at that moment for us that we are now called to go into all the nations and to preach the gospel to creation that he's going to restore it, that is going to be okay. And we're not going to have to do it alone. It's not a mission, it's a co-mission, which means we're doing it together with each other, but also with the Holy Spirit. Because the coming of his company, right, is right here. It's these signs will accompany those who believe. It's not uh, the signs that we are seeking, right? Um, in America, sometimes, especially in America, we get this backwards. Uh, we want to go to the arena, to the stadium, and watch the signs and wonders like it's a David Copperfield making the Statue of Liberty disappear. And I'm officially old that I remember that. Um, but that's not what he called us to do, was to go and to follow the signs and sell out the tickets at the arena. He said that they're going to follow you. So if you're following the signs, you've got the order completely backwards. Here's what it is. When it accompanies you, it means that it's a sign that the Holy Spirit is with you. And I got to tell you, when you, uh, and because I've been in these situations where you've been someplace and you've seen something happen and you're like, oh, man, and God just came through. So not only is it a sign to the unbeliever, it's kind of a sign for me. I've slept a little more peacefully in hammocks in West Africa knowing that the Holy Spirit was with us. 
Knowing that what his promise was in Matthew 28, that I'm sending you out sheep among wolves, but I will not leave you uh, low. I will be with you always, even to the end of the earth and to the end of time. He's with us. And these signs are clues that that is happening. Now, yeah, I'm gonna, I, I, if you've got your Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, because I know I've been around long enough that some of you might be thinking, yeah, but those, uh, those have ceased with the apostles. So, so these don't happen anymore. And I want to just share with you, that, by the way, very smart people, very intelligent people, very educated people would say something like that. I want to take you to a scripture that, that has been used for this and show you why I agree with them that they will end. It's just that we don't agree on when they will end, if, if that makes sense. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, this is a text that you might hear from someone who would say that these have ceased in our time. Uh, Love never fails, verse 8, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Like that's sort of the, it's going to happen someday, right? That's the, and so they would say that happened with the last of the apostles or when Jesus' disciples, it's sort of nebulous as to like when it started. Like I don't know when the clock started ticking and when they stopped. Uh, And mostly because when you keep reading, right? Keep the text in context. He tells us when, verse 10, when completeness comes. Like we, we, now we see in part, now we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, right? Then that which we know in part, it, it disappears. Uh, verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child. Uh, reason like a child. Remember when I've said when Jesus, when your, your, your resurrected body, the only reference I can think is it's like you've seen somebody as a child and now you've seen him as an adult and you kind of recognize them. But, you, but they've changed, but they're the same person. Like That's the, the glorified body. It's still me, but I just look apparently way better, I'm hoping, um, <laughs> way better than I do now. Um, when I was a child, there's almost that image of, because what he's talking about is when eternity comes. Because verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but we shall see face to face. For now I know in part, but then I shall know fully as I am fully known. I believe with all my heart that that is speaking not of when the disciples or the apostles were done, but that is when we see him face to face. I won't need a prophecy anymore because I got Jesus. We can just, I'll just ask him directly. Nobody's going to need to be healed anymore because we're all healed. Like, so these signs that were for this time will end, but at a time when they're not needed anymore. If, if that makes sense, if you disagree with that, totally okay. But I just want you to know that's where I'm basing this on. Because when I say this now, the signs that will follow you, that will accompany you. This idea that it's not the signs that we're seeking, but Jesus that we're seeking because he's coming with us. And it's just him saying, the Holy Spirit saying, I got your back. In fact, when you look at this passage, when he's talking about you're going to go into all the nations, so I've been to some places, right? Uh, David, uh, Christopher, and I have literally slept in hammocks in West Africa, right? We have been in in situations that were, um, I don't know, sketchy. And what you find out is that these are things like, this is like a toolbox, uh, like Bear Grylls survival kit for missions. Like, you're going to get out there and you, you cast out devils. That's one of the signs. And, and when you get into a place where Jesus has never been proclaimed before, do you think the demons are happy with that? Like, they've been quite content because, you know, they're doing their little thing and nobody's screwing with them. And then we come in and plant a church. It doesn't make them pleased. Uh, Brett Cornelli and I were talking that the very first trip to Haiti, I wasn't even on. This is 15, 16 years ago. And he's like, I'm working at Vanderbilt at that time, and I'm in the back of the church, and, you know, it's a, it's a Haiti thing, so it is like, you know, all gas, no brakes. And 
and a woman falls on the ground and starts flailing and screaming, and he thinks, well, maybe she's having a seizure, and at which point, if you know Lafleur, and if Lafleur, if you're watching, this makes perfect sense, Lafleur comes over and casts the demon out of her. And it came out of her. And Brett said, and I actually saw it, like I saw it. And again, Brett's either lying or it happened. And if you've known Brett for any length of time, that's eyewitness testimony. And that's happened. I mean, my kids are here this morning, Ethan and Lauren both. And Odd has been there. Like a few of you have been with us. When we go to Uganda, we're planting a church in a place that has never been before. Holly was with us. And demons are just not real thrilled about that. And so when we go and plant a church, I remember the very first time I wish Maddie were here because I remember, you know, we preached and we had this and we got, all these people got saved. And then at one point, Alex Matala looks and says, and now we cast out demons. <laughs> and I whispered to Maddie, honey, uh, step back. It's about to get real in here. And, <laughs> and it did. And every village we have gone into, that has happened. Every village, when we planted a church, that happens. And one of the best feelings ever is when you see somebody who has been tormented, Mary Magdalene, tormented by demonic oppression, free, like possession. It's gone. The freedom that she experiences, the freedom that he experiences, we're going to need that because we're going to go someplace where Jesus hasn't been proclaimed. And you know what? They will speak in, in new tongues. Now, uh, at some point we can go through that when Paul says, I pray in tongues more than you all, that's a whole, there's, a, there's a different ideas of what tongues is. I think it only gets confusing when we, we pigeonhole it into this one thing. Praying in tongues is different than learning a new tongue because we say tongues and we think it's weird because we grew up here in Pentecost and whatever. But it's like a new language. And there's a guy in South Africa who's been with us with our leaders before named Surprise. It's actually Surprise is his name. And he has literally supernaturally learned new languages straight up. Again, he's either lying or it happened. And now, by the way, when Saprize is walking into a, a place, he tells a story of one of the villages where when he was very young in his faith, where his brother, oh, I'm sorry, his cousin had been martyred. And when his cousin was martyred, God told Surprise, you need to go there next week and proclaim the gospel in a place that had just cut his cousin up with a machete to prove that no Christians are welcome here. Now, when you go to a place like that, you're going to need a new language. You're going to need to be able to cast out demons. You're going to need to know that God has got your back. And a bunch of people, that village has a church to this day that started on that day because surprise continues. And so when you see that, you think, well, I've never had that happen before. Have you ever been someplace that needed you to learn a new language before? Right? God's just saying, I got your back. This is your toolkit. You're going to take up serpents. Now, you could go not very far from Nashville and find a church where they'll open the box. Now, there aren't very many people in that church, um, <laughs> understandably. I mean, can you imagine how hard it is to invite somebody to that church? Like, it's hard enough to invite somebody to church. Like, but at some point, I just want to warn you ahead of time, they're going to be snakes, you know? <laughs> Which is why you've got to be careful and keep this in context, because that's not what he's saying at all. I'm in the... We're in, literally sleeping in a hammock in West Africa. You know what's in West Africa near your hammocks? Black mambas, right? They're, and by the way, this happened in, in the book of Acts. Paul, we know the story, right? He pulls it out, and a snake bites him, and he just shakes it off. And it was a sign for those that didn't know that, oh, God is with him. And by the way, probably a sign for Paul. Like at the point where you're like, this is the part where I should be probably sweating or fevers, and nothing happens. So God protected him with that. 
drink any deadly poison. Again, once they get the snakes out in these little churches, they, they, they break out the strychnine. Um, their communion looks a little different than ours. Uh, but if you've ever been to these places, especially without Cipro, especially without uh, vaccines or whatever, like you get there, you could drink something that could harm you. And he's saying, look, don't worry about that. I got your back there too. This mystery thing in a time where there was no refrigeration or storage or whatever, you're going to be fine. I've got your back on that. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And I said it uh, earlier, but man, when Mark and Victoria stand on a stage in a, a Muslim-dominated country and say that Allah is not Lord, I'm not asking you to add a God to your list. I'm telling you, tear up the list. There is no list. Yahweh, Jehovah is God. And then someone gets out of a wheelchair, blind eyes open, deaf ears open, and they come up on stage and the village people go, I know that person. I know that person was deaf. I know that person was blind. It is what he said would happen. It would confirm the word that was preached with signs and wonders following. They are accompanying along to say that this is it. I know that people want to, uh, let me put it this way, I would love it if this was, uh, if it ceased, because then I would not have to really ask the question of why we don't see these things in America, right? And, and by the way, if you're a uh, you know, theology degree and you're getting your doctorate and you're in an ivory tower studying it, on paper, I get why you would want that to cease, because then I don't have to explain any of it. Uh, I remember, uh, I think Ange, uh, Russ and Ange Rankin are watching in Waco this morning, but I asked Russ's dad kind of in passing once, uh, Jerry Rankin was the president of IMB for years. And uh, that was, if you remember back in Nashville, back in the day when there was an, an article, uh, front page of the Tennessee and that the Southern Baptists have, if you pray in an unknown tongue, if you've, you have a prayer language, however they worded it, you cannot be a Baptist missionary. Um, and it was a kind of, I mean, it was kind of a slap on the wrist to Jerry to say that, because uh, Jerry was, had spent the previous 25 years in Indonesia, right? And what Jerry said was, nobody was debating whether this stuff was today in Indonesia. Like, nobody sat around. We didn't have time to have that conversation because the demon just came out. The woman was just healed. So he was saying nobody was debating that. Here, I know that it's easier to just say, well, we'll just say nobody's doing it and we can, uh, we can just walk away from it. I personally believe one of the, and this is a thus saith the Darren, not a thus saith the Lord. One of the reasons we haven't seen them in our country is we're not desperate for the Lord like they are in other places. They'll accompany, nothing else will accompany, not my, not my nice car, that's not supposed to accompany me. Not, if I've given it all away and I'm going into a village where I literally, the risk is so great, of course God is gonna confirm that with signs and wonders. And it's not meant to be a guilt and a shame. It honest to goodness is not meant that for us here at all. I'm just saying that Clearly what he's saying here is that when people needed it the most, that he was going to be there the most profoundly. And maybe in this season, you know, maybe in this season what would be awesome is if there's one thing we figured out is how little control we really have. So maybe one of the gifts that God could give us in a lockdown is us to finally admit everything I thought I had under control is a, is a joke. None of it's under control. And then to submit to him and know that as I'm walking into, again, my nation, my neighborhood, that it is not about the dog and pony show. I'm not trying to go viral on the internet with miracles. I just need Jesus. And if I have that kind of need and that acknowledgement that he's going to accompany me along the way, the Holy Spirit, the accompany, I'm not going to leave you alone, Jesus said. I'm going to send another comforter. He is going to be the one that will teach you, that will go with you. That's the Holy Spirit. And by the way, Acts 2, right? Pentecost Sunday was that, that Holy Spirit. He told them, when you go, 
to, the, to this place, don't leave until the Spirit comes. But once the Spirit comes, don't stay because you've got work to do. So that's just my opinion. I think that these are still happening in our day and age, and I pray that in our own culture and society that we'll see it. But God is not some genie that we rub uh, the bottle for a trick. He's not a Buddha that we rub the belly for good luck. He is the God of the universe who can restore creation. And when I come to that conclusion, I just believe that maybe we'll start to see some things even in our own country. And if not, man, when these restrictions leave, let's go into all the nations and cast out some demons and speak in new tongues and heal and just see Jesus' work. Like that's, these restrictions are going to leave, right? And they're going to lift. And we're going to see some amazing things. And if you're called to go, man, I'd love to have you go with us and see what he's up to. And the final thing is not just, right, the accompaniment of, of that, but the commitment to the, the calling that he has given us. that The resurrection makes that possible for us, that I can remain committed to the calling that he's given us. In verse 20, the disciples went out. So Jesus said, do this. He was taken up to heaven. And this very understated sentence in verse 20, and then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Look, guys, if the resurrection did not happen, none of this matters. But if the resurrection did happen, it's the only thing that matters. Because getting into the nations, those who believed, right, are baptized, those who didn't were condemned. The stakes are high. And he could fly through the atmosphere with bullhorns, right, with angels. And by the way, in Revelation, he talks about that. We're going to actually talk about that in the coming weeks. But for now, he's chosen us. And the stakes are as high as they've ever been. And his resurrection makes it possible that we can do that. That these, literally, the signs and wonders that might follow us are not why we're going. It's not to see them. It's going because, lo, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth, and I have your back. That's the promise of the gospel. And we've seen it over and over. I mean, you know, we, we joke, like, but it's kind of true. None of us are getting out of here alive. So at some point... Unless Jesus returns, right? Some of us, it'll be our time and we'll step into eternity like Stephen or like Peter or like Paul. Like at some point, it's not like he's going to protect you from everything ever that could ever hurt or harm you. But as long as you are, an old missionary told me this, and I wish I could remember who it was because I would totally give him credit. But he's like, you know, this side of heaven, you're immortal until God is finished with you. And if, you're, if he's done with you here, whether you're in downtown Franklin or downtown pa you know, uh, Karachi, your time is then. And it's funny, over the years, I've, I've made some comments, and Shannon actually has reminded me of those words, which I'm like, man, I need you to stop reminding me of that because Iraq seems really scary right now. But if you really believe that and you really understand what he's doing, then his calling for us to the nations, he's coming with us. I believe as a, as a church family, and as some of y'all are here today, um, and I know some of y'all are watching online, I don't know what other churches are called to do. It's not my business. One of the greatest things I ever did, by the way, was retire uh, my position as Holy Ghost Junior. It's like, oh, you don't need my help to convict other people. Like, oh, I can just let you do your job. You know, it is you're kind of like, scooch down, Holy Spirit. Let me help on this. I don't know what other churches are called to do. I just don't. But I know what we're called to do. And at a time like this, we are not going to shrink back. Not when the world is as ready as they've ever been. We're going to keep feeding the poor. We're going to, I mean, look, this place in Southeast Asia that we were at, I mean, the, the, the fact that we were able to bribe a police chief, 
of a communist police force was because we met him while we were over there. And we, we sent him a little bit of money, and he says, okay, I'll look the other way, and now you can go and help the poor here. You can feed them, which is what it is. But the reason that we learned that even back then in October that they didn't arrest us or shut down the service was they remembered the year before that our church helped to help these families when the floods were there. We are going to confirm with our signs and our love and, our, and all those things that God has put in our hearts to do. And we're going to keep moving forward. And I believe if we're right and the, and the return of Christ is, is imminent, and I think it is. I mean, when you start cross-referencing your Bible with the evening news, right? A plague of locusts. Like, do you remember that in your lifetime ever? Like a headline? A plague of locusts is moving up East Africa right now into the Middle East and decimating crops and the food supply, right? And I could go on. I've all of you been down deep down the, the uh, conspiracy theory holes, but I don't know where the conspiracy is on this side of heaven, but I, on the other side, there's a conspiracy by the enemy to try to stop this gospel from going forward, and we are not going to bow to that. And if it is that time where Jesus is returning, Remember when Jesus spoke in Matthew 24 and 25? Did you feed those who were hungry? Did you clothe those who were naked? Did you visit those who were in prison? Again, in context, that's the end of times with these things that are happening with earthquakes and famines. There's never been a better time for a church to be alive and thriving than in that moment so that someone can feed them, someone can clothe them, someone can visit them while they're in prison. The mission doesn't shrink we're taking ground, right? Where the gates of hell shall not prevail is not a defensive term. It's offensive. We're kicking down gates, right? A gate of hell is poverty, is the clean water and dirty water in Uganda, the, the, the dirty water that's killing children. That's a gate of hell. We're kicking it down, right? When, when a lady is possessed by a devil there, like that is, uh, that's a gate of hell. We're kicking it down. And he says in the Matthew 28 version of this, I give, I have all authority. It's all been given on earth to me. I'm going to send you out. I'm going to be with you. And we don't have to shrink back or be afraid of any of that. I hope that, I hope this is speaking and stirring in your heart. Doesn't mean you have to go. I've challenged those who felt like they're supposed to go get your passports out, put them in a very prominent place because these restrictions will lift. If you're not called to go, man, start squirreling money away so that you can help send. But we're all gonna participate in what I think is a beautiful uh, harvest of souls that has begun. It is our supreme task. And that is Jesus's gift to us to let us be a part of that. And if you're scared, if you think I can't do that, these signs will accompany those who believe. And if you believe that God can raise someone from the dead, do you think that he could save you from a snake bite? Do you think that he could protect you from a demon possessed? Of course he can. That's what the resurrection makes possible for us. I want to pray for you. I want God to speak to your hearts this morning. And as I'm praying, um, if you've got a journaling Bible, if you've got your journaling you know, device, whatever, Maybe the Lord is speaking to you right now. Um, maybe it's about going. Would you make a note of that? So that, because I don't know about you, I'll talk myself out of it like later. I can't have been the Lord or whatever. But if I write it down, I come back to it. Listen to what the Lord might be speaking. And he might be speaking saying, hey, you know what? I was planning on buying a bass boat, but I could send some serious missionaries out with the money that a bass boat would buy. Um, sidebar. Y'all might remember a couple months back, three months back, we sent Ethiopian missionaries to North Africa um, because we want a church plant. These are Muslim. Uh, they're familiar with the Muslim context. They already know Arabic. It's perfect. Uh, we, they're there right now. Like, it's happening right now. Churches are being born in North Africa from that. All that to say, 
It costs $20,000 for two or three years to provide for them. That's in the kingdom of God. That's nothing. I don't even, actually, I don't know what a bass boat costs. Glenn, is that what you dropped on yours out in that driveway? <laughs> no. <laughs> Glenn's got an awesome bass boat, and I assure you it did not cost anywhere near that, but it's awesome. And then you catch the same fish, right, with that bass boat as you would with it, you know. With it. Um, just pray. What's the Lord speaking to you this morning? Heavenly Father, what are you speaking to us today? Where are you sending us? What, what part of the supply line do I get to play a part in? And Lord, how you're just so awesome because you said that the, the same person, you just offer a cup of cold water to a prophet, they get the same reward. Those that are sending, it's not less than, it's equal to those on the quote unquote front lines. It's just a different role in the same mission. So Lord, I actually right now pray that if anybody's feeling guilt and shame, that they understand exactly where that is from. It is not from you. That is from the pit of hell as well. It's a trap to reject that and to say that it's not about whether I'm going to get the glory of standing on a stage in Pakistan. It's that one day we're all going to stand in front of you and give the glory to you all at the same time. And whether you're Mark and Victoria Bowling or whether you are... Uh, Phyllis Weil, who's been so generous to sending missionaries out, we're all going to stand in front of the same throne singing the same thing, which is you are righteous and you are true. And this creation that you've come to restore, this, it's already started. The thaw has begun. What a great time to be alive. What a great time to be right in the center of your will. Lord, would you show us, would you speak to us on how that you might be calling us to go into all the nations to preach the gospel to creation, knowing that you will confirm your word with signs and, and wonders. Wow, we're so excited. Thank you, Lord. Would you revive us? Bring us back to life. That prayer of Kathleen Carnally's, wow. Bring us back to life. Breathe life into us. This race might already be done. It's not time to rest or to, to collapse. It's time to double down on your kingdom, Jesus. We love you so much. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.